0: It's Sunday morning, time for The Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter, brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN.
1: Good morning. Welcome to The Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio as we roll in towards that wonderful holiday season, which I always do a couple shows around the holidays, one what maybe we can get coming our way uh, for Christmas. And then I do one about what we hope happens in the new year when it comes to the outdoors. So we're a week away from the first one. So I'm going to start off today with a subject that is, well, it actually would be a really nice Christmas holiday present for a lot of people, and that's the subject of feral cats and how to get rid of them. There is a new study out we have known for years that feral cat, intuitively we've known forever that feral cats are wicked on wildlife, and we've known for years that they were really bad on birds. Well, now there's a new study out, it claims, purports, that feral cats kill 2.4 billion birds a year in North America. I don't know how they came up with this study, but let's just take it at its face value. 2.4 billion birds if it's a hundred million if it's 10 million whatever the number is it's unacceptable they also found that feral cats and I should give the definition of a feral cat because it does vary among people feral cats are cats that are let out of the house and go roaming around the countryside and start having litters of their own or they're the offspring of cats that were household cats that then went off and had litters, and then they keep having cats, litters. Feral cats are not considered household cats, those being cats that live in your house, but, oh, cats got to go out in the backyard or the cat's got to go outside. Those are considered feral cats. Their, their numbers are purportedly not in this study that says 2.4 billion birds a year are killed by feral cats. But let's just assume they are, that the household cat, and it goes into the backyard and marauds around and goes through the neighborhood is in that number. It's a lot of birds. But in addition to that, they have found in this study that cats eat over 2,000 different species everything from butterflies and dragonflies to rabbits, all kinds of birds, anything small, even frogs. But two thousand different species are impacted negatively by feral cats and the total is over two billion birds a year according to current estimates. So I've talked about this on the air over time and I often get very, un, not very nice emails from individuals who love cats. I don't dislike cats. I think cats are great. They need to be kept in the house. It's Pure and simple, that's where cats belong. Cats do not belong outside. If you're on a farm, farmyard cats have always been around. Oh, they get some mice in the barn, they do great things. We, we now have plenty of ways to get rid of mice in the barn. Don't invite, invite, involve a cat which then runs throughout the farm killing everything in its sight that it can get to. Remember, Remember, cats kill for fun, not just for food. So whereas many predators will kill one animal or one bird and eat it before they kill another, a cat will just kill and kill and kill and maybe never consume any of the, of the uh, animals or birds that it kills. So what it makes this study is unique is that it calls for the designation of feral cats to be an invasive species. I don't know why this line of thinking has not been thought of before, but it's fantastic. Feral cats are indeed an invasive species. They were not here on the landscape in evolution. They certainly were not running around farms and neighborhoods and subdivisions and cities. We have permitted that to happen. And it's because of us that cats have become so destructive. And, and many people who want to care for feral cats say, well, let's just neuter them, and then they won't have any more... Uh, kittens. Well, that doesn't really take care of the problem because the cat that's neutered is still going to kill for the rest of its life. And there's no way in the world we're going to neuter millions, maybe tens of millions of feral cats. It's not going to happen. So the better way to handle it scientifically is to do the right thing, which is now being advocated. Consider them to be an invasive species, just like we consider other things to be an invasive species. Asian carp are an invasive species. We try to control them. We try to eradicate them. We need to do the same thing with feral cats, and this is no insult to all of you listening who love cats. Feral cats are not your household cat. They are cats that have gone wild, and they are destroying wildlife in America on a scale that is, is, un, is heretofore never been known. There are believed to be more feral cats in the landscape now than ever before, at a time when we know that bird populations and butterfly populations and many other species populations are, are falling fast, some of them headed towards the threatened or endangered species list, and yet we let cats go and take birds and animals that are headed for or even on the threatened and endangered species list. So we'll see if there's any traction behind having feral cats listed as an invasive species, which would then enable management techniques to be employed not only by the Department of Agriculture, but other entities to dramatically reduce the feral cat population. I doubt it can ever be eliminated. There's always going to be a cat that gets out of a house, finds a mate, and they start their own family of cats, which then maraud, as I've said, around the countryside, but we could make a serious, serious impact in the, in the destruction that feral cats are causing by having them be classified as an invasive species. They're not native to North America, and our continent would be far better off if we didn't have them. So moving from cats, I want to talk about wildlife crossing corridors, a very interesting expenditure by the Department of Transportation, $350 million. Um, has been announced to create wildlife crossings, mostly in the West, but also in other areas, particularly in the Northeast where there are a lot of deer issues, to try to reduce the number of wildlife collision incidents. Over one million vehicle collisions occur annually to do with wildlife. The estimate from the Department of Transportation is that it's about a $10 billion annual cost to insurance companies. And forget the financial cost, it's estimated that over 200 people die each year as a result of collisions with wildlife on our roads, and some 25,000 people are injured. Roads obviously didn't exist in the wildlife traversing corridors of of animals. The interstate highway system really only came into being in in the late 50s and into the 60s. Prior to that, as the Department of Transportation notes, people didn't travel at high speeds, and there were relatively few incidences of vehicle and animal collisions and damage or loss of human life because we weren't traveling at these kind of speeds. So think what it's like. Two million animals estimated are killed annually on our roads. That's two million animals that are killed by cars on our roads. Most of them on the big game side are deer. Deer is number one. Elk, antelope, moose, bears. I once had my fender hit a moose when I was going about 60 miles an hour up in Northern Manitoba. And at the last moment, I saw this huge animal It was dark on a road with, with absolutely no lights except for my car headlights. At the last moment, I saw this enormous animal crossing in front of me and I slammed on my brakes to the best extent I could. And I was going about 60 miles an hour. And I just brushed the rear end of a great big bull moose. It had I hit the moose straight on, uh, somebody else would be ho- hosting the great outdoors show this morning. So, animal collisions with vehicles are a real deal. And we do have now very good technology that enables us to truly understand where most animals cross roads. And we're talking primarily here about major highways. We're not talking about building overpasses over country roads and, 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 secondary roads. We're talking about primarily the major roads at which people travel in numbers and at high speeds. Animals are just, they have their, they're just like people. They, they walk the way in a path the same every day. They generally don't deviate unless they're harassed. So you have corridors that animals travel. And we know how these corridors using technology, using everything from microchipping animals to radio collaring them, to, to to aerial surveillance, we and also now using all the data from from years and years of, of injuries uh, due to to vehicles, we also understand where they cross in the greatest numbers. So the Department of Transportation is going to award has awarded three hundred fifty million dollars as kind of a down payment to begin to build these plate these crossings overpasses. On a big scale, if you travel around the east, northeast, you'll definitely already see them in New Jersey. The state's done things like that, and other states have indeed. But doing it in the American West, which is much more wide open and where fatalities on a percentage of population and percentage of animal basis are significantly higher is a great start. So maybe we can make some progress in having fewer vehicles hit big animals. We won't cost the industry $10 billion a year, and we won't kill 2 million animals on our roads, Much less watch the loss of human life, which is, is just not acceptable if we possibly can avoid it. I'll be back in much more in the great outdoors in just a moment. And when I do, I have a really, really interesting story on forests and climate change, something that I, I really thought I would, would never read. But it came out of none other than the world's uh, global warming summit, and it's quite intriguing. I'll be back with much more on The Great Outdoors show in just a moment. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America. 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers.
0: Hiking, camping, and hunting, it's all an adventure in the great outdoors. But nature can be tough. You need to be ready for anything and everything. Chevy Silverado is built to handle the toughest conditions and get you everywhere you want to go worry-free. Silverado's designed to handle the big jobs. It's built for the great outdoors. With over 13,000 pounds of towing capacity and trailering sway control, Silverado can haul the biggest loads on the roughest roads and keep you cool as a Sunday drive. With eight available cameras and up to 14 different views, it can spot trouble before it gets to you. That's peace of mind. And when you're ready for the backcountry, Chevy Silverado 1500 ZR2 owns the off-road. You name it, we run over it. No wonder it's Motor Trend's 2023 four-wheeler pickup truck of the year. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and check out a Chevy Silverado. It's freedom to explore the great outdoors. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN.
1: Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for being with me. Guess what came out of the summit that was held on climate change? Um, Rather unbelievable that the subject of forests came out as a possible way to help reduce global warming, as they call it, or climate change. We've been talking about this on the air for quite some time, but it came out in a way that uh, surprised me, and I think a lot of people. Um, Forests, and I'm quoting now from the report on on world climate change, forests hold on average almost 30% more carbon than what countries have previously reported. Keeping these forests healthy and preventing their massive stores of carbon From being released into the atmosphere is even more critical than we thought. That's quite something. If you think about it, 30% more carbon is stored in forests than was originally thought before they went into the World Climate Change Conference. So they came out of the conference with the recommendation that the forests around the world be managed by countries to be, remarkably, the word sustainable was used, which is something we've been talking about on the Great Outdoors Show for years. And the reason we have is because our forests are not being managed by the U.S. foresters and others in a sustainable manner. Instead, what they're being managed as is leave them alone and everything will be fine. And what we've seen this year in particular, but in recent years in general, we've seen these enormous infernos grow up around the country, around wildfires that are growing out of control because the forests were not managed. And we have, Overaged and dead trees and diseased trees on a scale that probably has not been known in the history of humanity. And we have done all this basically in the last 50 years, and it came about because of that wonderful campaign, Smokey the Bear, put out a fire. So 50 years or more of the U.S. government trying to put out every single fire that was ever started, either by nature or by man, in these massive forests across the North, Minnesota, Michigan, all across the upper Northeast, Maine, Vermont, upstate New York, and then you get to the American West, and you've got the huge forests across the American West in Montana and Idaho and California and Oregon and Washington. And these forests have been let deteriorate. Private-managed forests don't burn. The fires that we've seen on this just apocalyptic scale in recent years have almost all been the result fires on federal or state lands lands where the government or the states stopped all timber harvest stopped all management because after all we're not supposed to cut a tree well what's coming out of the world climate summit is we better cut trees and we better cut a lot of trees dead trees and old trees because it's dead trees and old trees don't store carbon instead when those fires are are created they emit an incredible amount of carbon. So the interesting twist to fate here, and many of you are probably nodding your heads because we've talked about this for a long time, is it's very simple to store carbon. Younger trees store more carbon than older trees because as trees grow, they use more energy, and they store more carbon as their root system is expanding deep into the ground. And Marshall Johnson in the film Wings Over Water talks so eloquently about how carbon can be stored deep in the grounds and the roots in this case he was talking about prairie wild native prairie grasses but the same is true of trees deep into the ground the carbon is carried and stored through the roots of trees healthy forests do this forests that are diseased and forests that have aging trees they don't do that we have to manage our forests in a sustainable way for wildlife which we've been talking about for a long time and now much more recently The individuals who are supposed to know say this is a great way to store carbon. Ten years ago, even five years ago, we didn't talk about carbon sequestration in our forests. Now it's at hand. Let's use this opportunity. And for all of you listening, we cannot think of a North American forest like the Amazon. These are not rainforests. These are forests where trees through nature and through millennia have had fires in them that killed the old and the sick trees. And these fires were not these towering infernos that we have now because they weren't so big. We've got hundreds of millions of acres that have been left unmanaged in the proper way that sooner or later is going to burn. We have to go and get rid of the deadfall and the older diseased trees out of these forests before these infernos can keep erupting. That's how we're going to take the advantage of our forests in North America and turn them into not only fabulous areas for wildlife, great areas for soil quality and water quality, but also areas to secure sequester carbon. There is nothing worse for the quality of water than forest fires, which burns everything to the ground, and then these, the rivers fill up with silt, and they fill up with ash, and in fact, many of them for periods of years become sterile. Some of the fires in the American West in recent times have been so hot that they literally just killed everything in the river with the ash that came into it. So it's much more now than just conservationists and people who are like members of the Rough Grouse Society saying, we really need to manage our forests. Now we've got the whole world saying, we need to manage our forests in a sustainable way. I think that is truly, truly a fabulous outcome that came out of the Climate Change Conference. I wouldn't have thought it was coming. I wouldn't have thought it would have happened, but it did. So let's give them credit for recognizing that our forests need to be sustained. Thanks so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter, the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, on 720 WGN. I'll be back next Sunday morning, right before Christmas, with much more in the great outdoors. Have a great week in the great outdoors.